0: Welcome to The Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hristova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited to have Jessica Robinson back on the show. You may remember she's the founder and managing director of Moxie Future, the world's first insights, education, and community platform, empowering women as responsible, sustainable and impact investors. As well as running Moxie Future, Jessica works as a strategic advisor to institutional investors, think tanks and governments on all things relating to green finance, sustainability, responsible investment and gender. Prior to this, Jessica was head of Asia for the United Nations Supported Principles for Responsible Investment. Following a long stint as Chief Executive and Board Director of the Association for Sustainable and Responsible Investment in Asia, one of Asia's leading think tanks working to promote sustainable finance and responsible investment across the region. She also led the Asia Investor Group on Climate Change and played an active leadership role in the Global Sustainable Investment Alliance and the Global Investor Coalition on Climate Change. Jessica recently published a book on sustainable investing entitled Financial Feminism, A Woman's Guide to Investing for a Sustainable Future. And this is exactly what Jessica talks to us about in this interview, as well as providing a step by step guide on how to get started in ESG investing. You can also listen to the first interview that we recorded and published back in August 2020. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. But please note, this podcast is for informational purposes only. We do not provide investment advice. Jessica, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you back on. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Before we dive in... What are some of the trends that you've seen in ESGs generally and in the markets since the pandemic last year? So in 2020 and early 2021, because there's been
1: quite a lot of activity since the pandemic. It's certainly been an interesting journey, obviously, for all of us personally, but in the market, what we've seen through 2020, you know, and here we are sitting in 2021 looking forward. I mean, I have to say, so when the pandemic, hit last year, I think from a sort of professional perspective, I was actually very concerned. And I thought, okay, this is not going to be great news for the sustainable investing trajectory, because it's going to refocus everybody on the short term. Because we were immediately thinking, okay, what about economic stimulus? How are we going to respond to the pandemic and the economic downturn? So I was actually at that point, very concerned that it was not going to be good news for us who've been sort of promoting sustainable investing. That said, it actually hasn't happened. The worst has not happened. In fact, the opposite. So, we've seen investor demand rising. We've seen ongoing communications around the importance of sustainability in our investments. We've seen institutional investors state their ongoing commitment. We've seen providers continue to bring products on the market. And I think part of that is a recognition that certainly in the downturn last year, many of the companies and funds that have strong sustainability strategies or are considered ESG leaders have actually been very resilient. So in fact, it's given us more evidence that we're we're all heading in the right direction. And I think the COVID pandemic really taught us how interconnected we are, but also how glaring the inequalities are that we face. And actually, for many, that's a big wake-up call. Of course, 2020 Black Lives Matter, you know, had a huge impact and is fueling much more debate on diversity and the importance of diversity in our investment portfolios and in in the work we do in companies and so forth. So actually, as we look forward into 2021, I'm, I'm really, really hopeful around sustainable investing and where it's headed. And climate change is now firmly on the agenda, isn't it? How
0: is the financial industry now looking at climate change? And what can we as
1: retail investors do to be prepared? So the interesting thing about climate change, I mean, this is an area I've done a lot of work on over the years. I think it's been rising up the agenda quite rapidly in the last couple of years, obviously with the Paris Agreement and the Sustainable Development Goals. Now, the pandemic, as I said, really shone a a spotlight on some of these global challenges that we face and have these ripple through effects throughout economies and societies. So what I'm seeing in the investment industry is a recognition that actually climate change is the next pandemic. And we need to be doing a lot more to be prepared, particularly given how climate change affects other issues such as migration, food security, gender equality as well is a critical one. So the recognition that climate change has no market, no financial institution, no investor is immune. And I think this is a significant shift in thinking. Obviously having the US back at the table is pretty important. From an individual perspective, you know, I really encourage people to take note of what is happening and think about climate and climate change in their investment decisions. I mean, obviously, it's about reducing risk, so avoiding any exposure to companies that are less likely to do well in a climate-stressed world, staying out of carbon-intensive industries. And then, of course, looking for companies that have plans in place that building climate risk into their strategic planning process And I think that's really important, making sure that when you invest in a company or a fund, you're very aware of climate risks and what that company or fund is doing. The other thing, of course, is technology. I think we're starting to see the emergence of more and more climate resilience technology become available. And this is a retail investor is actually looking for these opportunities. Um, The other thing is there are more equity and bond mutual funds and ETFs that have been created with the low carbon transition in mind. And it's certainly worth looking out for these as you consider how to embed or how you can consider how to incorporate climate change into your investment decisions. Someone's just brought my attention to
0: this tweet. I think it was sent out last night by Ben C. And it says, "Breaking: Joe Biden's new NASA chief climate change advisor has made clear that even with aggressive emissions reductions We should be prepared for global warming levels that will likely wipe out half of Earth's species and threaten the lives of billions of people this century. We really, really have to pay attention to this stuff.
1: I've been in the climate change, climate finance space for well over a decade. And it's been incredibly frustrating at how hard so many of us have worked to get climate change on the agenda for the finance and investment industry. And so we're thankful that finally people are waking up to it, but we have so much work to do.
0: And so you've published your new book called Financial Feminism, A Woman's Guide to Investing for a Sustainable Future. It's very timely, of course. And I'm curious, what made you write the book
1: and what are some of the key takeaways for our listeners? The book hit these virtual shelves in early February, which is quite a difficult time to sort of be pushing a book out there because obviously a lot of people aren't wandering in and out of bookstores. But the response that I've been getting has been fantastic. The number of people that have have bought the book and read it, it's the sole reason why I, I put pen to paper in the first place. I really wanted to put all the things in my head down on paper. You know, I've been in sustainable finance, responsible investing for a long time, And I really wanted to document what I was thinking and also the frustration that we're not moving quickly enough. And I felt I wanted to do something that really was tangible and proactive. The key takeaways, I mean, the book is all about engaging with women who want to think about sustainable investing as they move forward in their own personal investment decisions. And so my sole aim really is to empower women to really take the next step. I want them to read the book, be able to put it down and think, okay, I can now push for change in finance and investment. I want to give them enough information so they can go and confidently talk to a financial advisor or their bank about sustainable investing. And really, that's how I believe it's sort of my contribution to trying to move forward on this and in a way create a a movement of women who really believe that they can do something more with their wealth and they can actually use it to define the kind of world that they want to live in. And in that, I I do want to bring women together to build that sisterhood of women who are looking for something else. And I'm prepared to just sit back and go, okay, I will do as told by my financial advisor or the financial industry, rather that they then feel empowered to actually push back and say, no, this is what I believe my money should be doing. I want to invest in companies or sectors that are actually good for the planet, and good for societies. We know that women tend
0: to invest based on their values, and there's a real interest in engaging so much more around their money. Women want to invest. It's just knowing how to do that and in a way that makes sense and is inspiring, right? We're going to get into the weeds today for listeners who are interested in ESG investing, but don't know where or how to get started. So, Let's
1: recap, Jessica, what is sustainable investing? We know there's a difference between saving and investing, Um, and we've always been concerned with this concept of financial returns. What we've seen happen in the last few years is a shift and actually talking about, and you may have heard of terms like, as you said, ESG investing, impact investing, responsible investing. There are nuanced differences, but ultimately there is a commonality. And that goal is to achieve positive change in an area in which the investor is passionate about so invariably these have a a sort of social or an environmental dimension sustainable investing is an investment discipline that considers the different criteria around environmental social and governance which is where the esg comes from we're looking to generate long-term financial returns but at the same time some kind of positive societal impact and really, one of the reasons I am so engaged in this is that I do believe that we invest for a reason. We invest to bring benefits to all participants. So, so that's across people, across societies, but also across generations. And I think that's the crux of sustainable investing. You know, that money is this construct. It's a human construct. And it's a way that we use money to organize our economy. But it's not an end in itself. You know, it's always been a means to create a world that we want to live in. And that's ultimately what we're talking about: using our money, using our wealth to create the world that we want, and that it is aligned with our values.
0: In terms of the various asset classes or investment vehicles out there, can you talk us through what some of these are and how can you apply these to the
1: sustainable investment world? And and as you mentioned, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm, I'm a sustainable finance expert. So, do not take this as advice per se. it's more of an overview of, of different aspects. So asset classes, really they're just essentially categories or the way that we group investments or financial instruments, and they provide you with a different way to invest. One of the good things and to think about is diversification of your investment portfolio you know essentially don't put all your eggs in one basket and that includes the companies and sectors you invest in but also the way you choose to invest as well so your main ones are obviously stocks public equities those are the equity investments that are bought and sold through public markets like the london stock exchange and you can get into them in different ways single stocks equity funds And then something also called exchange traded funds, which are sort of they own assets like stocks and bonds. And then the ownership of that fund is divided into shares that are traded. Now, ETFs have got a lot of attention because they're quite easy to invest in. The fees tend to be lower and they sort of naturally give you a diversification. So, I think from a sustainability perspective, you can look at equities, public equities, and certainly ETFs, because these are probably the easiest way to find sustainable investments, um, companies, and funds that fit with your sustainability priorities. I mean, I would say always do your homework, especially if looking at single stocks. There are lots of tools out there now that monitor the sustainability performance of companies. So, for example, Corporate Knights Global 100, and I reference this in my book, they list every year the most sustainable companies in the world. So you may want to keep an eye out for them in your fund or equity fund choices. Sustainable ETFs are definitely becoming increasingly popular for retail sustainable investors. They will be designed potentially thematically or best in class, so comprising of companies with high ESG scores. Or they may exclude certain companies or sectors, say, for example, tobacco, gambling, or military weapons or something. In addition to equities, you've got bonds. Now, bonds are a form of a loan, really. In return for lending your money, you receive regular interest payments, and then the issuer of the bond agrees to pay you back on a certain date. Sustainable bonds are essentially fixed income projects, like a regular bond, but they bring clear environmental and socioeconomic benefits. So you may look for a sustainable bond fund or a sustainable bond ETF if you want to get into this space. And there are many more coming on the market now. The other area, obviously, is private equity. So investing in a private company. In its simplest form, an investor invest directly in the company. And so the money, the capital is pulled into a private equity fund rather than buying stock. These tend to be long-term investment vehicles, so around 10 years. But the challenge really for the retail investor is they're quite hard to get into because the minimum investments are extremely high. There are other types of investing or asset classes, such as crowdfunding, angel investing, but we will talk about those later, I think. So
0: let's assume I wanted to get started as a sustainable investor. What are the top five
1: steps I need to take to get started? I do believe that in terms of the finance industry, the more we as individual investors demand sustainable investing products and services, the more they're going to sit up and listen. When you start, you need to prioritize what you care about because We cannot fix the whole world in everything we do through sustainable investing. So for you as an individual, it's about prioritizing what issues are important to you. We've spoken a bit about climate change, for example. That's something I'm very passionate about. So I I do prioritize climate in my investment decisions. And then really taking that and translating these priorities into what we describe as your sustainable investment beliefs. And those are your guiding principles that spell out who you are, what you want to achieve, and allows you then to set certain goals. So what do you want your investments to accomplish? And the more specific you are, the easier it becomes in terms of identifying how and where to invest. In doing that, I do suggest that the next step is really setting your boundaries and really determining how important this is to you, how much time you want to put into it, because there is some time required to really research And think through conceptually what you want to do as well. Do you want external advice or input? And how much of your wealth do you want to allocate to sustainable investing? Some people may say all of it. Some people say in the first instance, I may want to just use say 10 to 20% of my investments. Obviously, once you've got to that point, you really have to get more and more educated and more empowered. There's so much information and analysis out there. So I would suggest leverage it to your advantage. Follow the NGOs that are focused on the issues that you're thinking about. There are many sustainable investment blogs. There's many other resources. Even if you say, okay, just one hour a week, I'm dedicating to this. It will really, really make a lot of progress just spending some focused time on that. I'd also suggest doing a bit of an audit. Just find out where you stand today. It's highly likely that you already have a pension fund in which case you may want to just dig into it and ensure you know what holdings you have within that pension fund and if it is aligned with your values or the priorities that you've previously defined. And then obviously you need to start taking action. So when you feel ready, follow up with your financial advisor, maybe explore new investment products. And I think really being a sustainable investor is about making well-informed and well-considered decisions. It's not about necessarily taking longer but it's about making decisions that are conscious and part of a thought out strategy. Really well said. What are
0: some of the challenges then and pitfalls that investors who are new in this space should look out for?
1: There is one recognition that it is still a fairly nascent industry, but we've made a huge amount of progress in the last five years. However, we still have a lot of work to do. And I think it's just important to recognize that because it does mean that you will have to do some work and you may find solutions that aren't exactly perfect, but they're the best, best at that point in time. I think the lack of standards and common definitions has been something that the broader financial and investment industry has been grappling with for some time. There are some debates still going on on what is defined as green versus SDGs, et cetera, et cetera. But a lot of work is now being done, particularly at the European Union level. And I think that's going to transform the industry. So just being aware of that and keeping up to speed with how the lack of standards is evolving and actually where it's heading as well. One of the challenges as well, I have to admit, is the limited options available to retail investors. Again, that's something that is changing comes back to the demand side as well. The more we push for it, the more that will come on the market. At the moment, there are some exciting products coming out online, but just do your due diligence. Make sure that you know what you're investing in. That, of course, relates to getting the right kind of advice, you know, making sure that if you do work with a financial advisor, they understand your priorities and what you want to achieve. Quality of data, we, again, similar to the lack of standards, it's, it's a big Area that a lot of people are working on. It's improving rapidly. And now, obviously, with many tech platforms, the access to that data is much more democratic and much easier. There are some concerns that sometimes some of the products, sustainable investment products, may have higher costs. Again, that's something I would suggest exploring with your financial advisor. And then I think probably the big one is as an individual, how do you measure your outcomes and impact in your investment decisions? And I think this is something that is worth thinking about at the beginning. You know, when I talked about prioritizing what you care about, also having a think about, right, what are the specific outcomes I want and how can I measure that? In my book, I talk a lot about the sustainable development goals, and I think they provide quite a good framework really to help us to go through that process of measuring impact.
0: Can you talk us through those sustainable development goals in a little bit more detail? Because we know the financial industry is talking about these a lot more
1: How does it relate to investing? And what can I do about SDG investing? The 17 sustainable development goals that were agreed a number of years ago really are around improving the overall quality of life in the world by 2030. So we have things like no poverty, zero hunger, climate action, clean water, sanitation, and so forth. So They're really a global call to action. And the reason I like them and the reason I've included a chapter in my book is because I think they're the closest we have to a global strategy. And in that, it sort of provides a clear route or a clear financing strategy. How do we allocate resources? And this has to include private investment. It's estimated between five and seven trillion per year is needed until 2030 to achieve the SDGs. And unfortunately, 2020 has taken us off track a little bit in terms of our progress to achieving them. So we need even more action now, given what's happened in the last year or so. What's been quite exciting is the financial industry are increasingly tying products and services to SDG outcomes. And so I'm a big proponent of using the SDGs to guide us as investors. I think it's a really big opportunity both for the industry as a whole but also for us as investors to reframe our role in terms of where we direct our capital and our investments. I think also for the SDGs, gender equality has its own SDG. I think it's number five, but all SDGs are highly relevant to women and gender equality. So I think it's really worth going through them and and really working at how to embed them in what you do. From an individual investor perspective, I think it's worth considering them because the SDGs will define what the world will look like tomorrow. It gives us a direction of travel. And again, from an investment opportunity perspective, that's important. I don't think by 2030, the world is going to be full of companies that are going against the SDGs. So I do think if you're thinking about risks and opportunities from an investment perspective, the SDGs is a great framework. I'd suggest looking out for SDG-related products. We're seeing more and more come online. And actually, when you get into investing in certain funds, speaking to your advisor, actually ask those questions about what those investments are doing specifically to address SDGs, because a number of the wealth managers and asset managers are now, as I said, linking investments directly to SDG impact.
0: One of the SDGs is gender equality. And we know because of the pandemic, The fact that women have been so adversely affected, the sectors that they work in predominantly, women have been laid off. Obviously, more women have been furloughed. Women have lost incomes. They've had to stay at home, uh, do much more of the homeschooling and childcare than ever. And so gender equality has essentially retraced, right? It's gone back many, many years. And so from an investor point of view, If that is an SDG goal that you're specifically focused on, and it's one that I am personally very focused on, that might become your North Star in terms of how you choose to invest.
1: Yes. We're talking about gender lens investing now. I'm like you. This is obviously very dear to my heart. And I'm actually a very active gender lens investor myself. So we're looking at basically investing for financial return, but also considering the benefits that those investments make to women and your point about what's happened in the last year or so in terms of negative impact on many, many different aspects of women's roles in life, in the workforce, in economies, in societies, it has taken us back considerably. And and I think now then the call for more gender lens investing is even stronger and louder than it was before. So you're looking at really seeking improving economic opportunities and seeking company sectors, products that benefit the well being of women and girls. And you know, so how do we improve access to capital for women, for female founders? How do we expand products and services for women and girls? How do we create or invest in funds that support Gender Lens? And how do we use that Gender Lens to identify future risks and opportunities? The, you know, the sector itself, the Gender Lens investing sector is growing, but the reality is you know, women just aren't getting the cash, particularly when it comes to setting up businesses and We do know and we have overriding evidence that gender equality is good for our economies. It supports innovation. It supports productivity. It's good for businesses. It's good for leadership. There's really no excuse now. I mean, what's exciting is that there are a number of gender lens funds that retail investors can get behind. There's Pax Elevate, Global Women's Leadership Fund. Because Sam has a, a global gender equity impact fund, legal in general, obviously has its girl fund. But I think that, you know, there are now products that we can actually put our money where our mouth is when it comes to gender equality.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you, I'm very passionate about supporting female founders and investing in companies led by women. Because we know women are essentially designing products and services that solve a problem for them specifically, and, and it tends to solve the problem for many other women because, as we know, the female market is still hugely underserved and underinvested. There's a lot of discussion now about how female founders can actually accelerate our recovery from the pandemic, and therefore, more than ever, we need to be injecting capital into these female led companies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We need to be taking much more action.
0: Why don't we talk about how online investment platforms can help us invest as retail investors? You may not be ready to invest in a female-led startup. You may not be ready to become an angel investor, for example, but you can invest in an index that tracks companies that are taking gender diversity seriously and that's possible via an online platform or a mobile app.
1: I was speaking on a webinar the other day and a woman raised the question of technology because I think one of the most exciting things is it's really democratizing who, how and where we can invest and I think for most of us that's actually incredibly exciting because it's opening up different channels, through which we can invest. And it's making it much easier, much more accessible. But also, you know, technology is improving that transparency and access to information. You know, whereas before you would rely so heavily on a financial institution or an advisor, we can now really go direct to source information, we can get different opinions. And that really helps us in our sustainable investment journey. And I think it really helps women in particular, because it gives us new ways to connect. So the technology we see, obviously, through robo-advisors and ETFs, making that investment lower cost and more accessible. Again, that's really to the benefit of people like you and I, who are really wanting our individual investment journey to, you know, to actually put in the time, but also have access to sustainable investment opportunities. The great thing as well, obviously, is the growth of sustainable investment apps. You know, we can now on our phone really make these investment decisions we can choose the areas whether you might be looking at low carbon or things around supply chains you can actually use what you have on your phone and it makes it very real time the minimum amounts are much smaller than they used to be so for me technology is what it's all about now because it's really opening up the sustainable investment universe i think also as we look forward with big data What's really cool is how we can use big data and AI to understand and process the information on sustainable environmental performance of companies. And that's just going to make us smarter, more responsive investors in the long run as well.
0: You just reminded me that, so Backstage Capital essentially allowed, I think this is back in early February, they allowed retail investors to put money into the VC. So they went via an online platform called republic.co. And instead of reaching out to legal partners, they opened up the possibility to every single person to invest because the minimum investment was $100. You could be anywhere in the world. So as long as you agree to the T's and C's on the investment platform, you were good to go. And I think they raise the money in five days, or perhaps even less. And to your point, we're seeing this trend now, right? This idea that you can democratize investment. It's not as exclusive as it used to be. If you have the capital, even if it's $100, you can become an investor and you can back a company like Backstage, which invests in female-led businesses and LGBT-led businesses, black and brown founders, right? Again, very mission-driven, very much
1: along the lines of what we're talking about here. A lot of the research tells us that many women feel like either investing's not for them, sustainable investing's for people that, you know, you have to have millions in the bank to do it. Mm. This is what I feel we need to overcome, right? Because... The female financial empowerment is critical to anything now, right? And so anything we can do to engage more in terms of women engaging with their investment decisions and feeling closer to being able to make change happen is critical. We talk about crowdfunding and angel investing. These areas are so important. So angel investing, and this is something I'm very passionate about as well as very involved in. You know, it's about individual investors putting capital into startup or their early stage businesses, right? You're a private investor. Quite often, you may be family and friends, right, investing in an early stage. But it's very personal. So it's also very easy to align with your values because you're only going to invest in a company that is delivering something that you believe is aligned with who you are or what you want to see happen in the world. It's obviously risky because it's early stage. We're dealing with early stage companies. But at the same time, that level of personal input is really important. As I said, I've been quite active in this space as an angel investor in female founded businesses, and I have had so much enjoyment from it because you get to know the team, you get to understand the business, you get to sometimes be part of how those businesses grow. And often what I found is when we're looking at female founded businesses, nine times out of 10, these women entrepreneurs are coming up with some kind of sustainability solution. Because for some reason, women are thinking, how do we solve global challenges? What do businesses need to do to solve, say, environmental problems, social problems, whether it's ed tech, health tech, you know? And and I think that in itself is so telling. The more we can mobilize our capital towards these female entrepreneurs who are coming up with complex solutions to sustainability challenges, the better. And that's why, for one, I'm a massive proponent of angel investing. Where I am, there's quite an active women's angel investor network. So we've been over the years investing in various female founded businesses. I think some great examples. Health tech is a really big thing because, you know, finding solutions that may have been overlooked because, say, pharmaceutical medical companies have been dominated by men. So, for example, the menopause, right? Not a subject most men care about and quite a taboo subject. But actually, we've seen a company looking at technical solutions for women in managing menopause, right? And that's coming from female founders, because these are very real issues that we deal with that haven't been explored in sort of the corporate world so far. Also, a lot around like ed tech, you know, how do we make education more accessible, whether it's languages, whether it's different skill sets. Again, I think we see a lot of amazing women coming up with these types of businesses that perhaps have been overlooked because they haven't been within the realm or scope of a lot of male leaders.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we need to stop talking about the female markets as a niche market. It's 51% of the
1: population. I absolutely agree. And there are female-focused issues and problems that need addressing that female entrepreneurs need to get the capital and the investment and the support to really grow these businesses. Here, here.
0: Now, I want to talk briefly about finding, connecting with a financial advisor. This is a challenge, right, in the industry, as we know. Most financial advisors are men. And women tend not to reach out to a financial advisor when they need help. There's a lot of feedback that we've been getting, my own personal experience as well, yours, Jessica, I'm sure, about that time you sat down with a a male financial advisor and it was a session where he basically talked at you, wasn't listening, and it was a condescending conversation. Can you share your thoughts about how do you find a good financial advisor, someone who can really help you meet your financial goals. It's fairly crucial if you're starting out and you want to take this stuff seriously, how do you go about finding a good financial advisor?
1: You have got to find the right person. I sometimes tell the story, my ex-husband and I went with a financial advisor and I don't think I was really included in the conversation, but afterwards the financial advisor sent me a a bouquet of flowers. (laughs) Oh dear, I didn't get back to him as I said before, I do think it's important that you leverage and speak to investment professionals as you craft your way forward. I do think there's a lot to be gained. A good advisor can provide you with the personalized information you need. And really, this should be aligned with your broader financial goals, your age, where you are, what you want, your ambitions and so forth. However, we do know that many women struggle to find the right advisor. So I think it's worth just considering, you know, how important certain things are to you, like, Having an emotional sort of engagement or connection in terms of values, being aware of the bias that that advisor may bring into a meeting or a discussion. So it may be a personal bias, which I think we know what that might lean to. There may be a familiarity with certain products because don't forget advisors are trained in certain ways. They may be selling on commission as well. So being sort of savvy to what's motivating the advisor. Some advisors may be overly focused on the short term. And if you're thinking about sustainable, investing, you you really are thinking more of the long term. So just going into any meeting, being aware of those sort of potential bias that, that you may confront. You may want to consider a female advisor. Now, the challenge is that the majority of advisors still are male. And we do know, certainly on the research that's available, that women do like connecting with female advisors. The good thing is that's really changing. We're getting a lot more women take on financial advisory careers for example i actually spoke at a webinar a week or two ago for one of the big wealth managers global wealth managers and they very focused on connecting with the female client base and ensuring that they're now providing advisors that understand the needs of their female clients and i actually am quite as someone who's quite cynical i've been quite impressed with this particular wealth manager the other thing to consider, of course, is virtual financial advisors. These are probably more accessible, and they therefore gives you a bigger choice. Now, obviously, we're so used to living life on Zoom. I think this is an area that's opening up. And when it comes to sustainable investing, I would suggest just doing your due diligence before you really start giving business to any one individual advisor, because. Not all of them will be adequately educated or trained in sustainable investing. In fact, some may not even bring it up in a meeting. So make sure you fully understand what their expertise is. Have they undertaken any formal training around sustainable investing? You know, and what other clients do they work for? Do they work for other clients specifically on sustainable investing? And therefore, do they have a strong track record? Also in the meeting, it may be worth asking about their metrics. You know, we talked before about outcomes and impact. If you find a good advisor, one thing you want them to be able to do is to provide some input on how you can measure those impacts and the metrics that you can use around that. And financial advice doesn't need to be expensive, right? No, and again, this is changing, right? Because particularly with the tech that we discussed in terms of how we access products and services, it's changing a lot and it is becoming more democratic.
0: Jessica, just to wrap up then... And you've shared so much today. There's there's a lot of information here. What final message do you have for women around sustainable investing? If they're currently a bit unsure, a bit hesitant, but they think that it's something that they want to get started in, what's your final message to them?
1: I would really say just... Don't put it off. I think we can overthink and worry about getting everything right, but I would really encourage you just to start. And by doing that, it's really start doing some research, read my book, speak to some of your friends, find a sisterhood, but start taking action today because the longer you put it off, the harder it will become. And actually, you're losing incredibly valuable time to have such a positive impact on the world in so many different ways, because investing and money, it's such a powerful lever of change, but it's only going to be powerful if more and more of us actually start to use it and use it in the positive way that I believe that it really can be done. And I think we mentioned this when we spoke last time,
0: even if you put in £50, £100, right, using an online platform or a mobile app you invest that money into a fund, and you start to track it on a weekly or a monthly basis, you'll be so much more engaged. And I think that's the point. You need skin in the game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually working with friends on this as well, because I do think that spreading the word is really important and making sure, you know, just like a book club, find the people that you want to work with on this and sort of work through it together, because we do know that women enjoy that peer-to-peer interaction when it comes to these kind of issues. So leverage that too, I think. Yeah, really, really good advice.
0: If listeners want to find
1: you, if they want to connect with you, where can they do that? So you can find me easily on LinkedIn. I like using LinkedIn because I think it's a great platform. Our website, moxiefuture.com, has a whole host of research articles and analysis, but also the link to where you can buy the book as well if that's something you want to read.
0: Do read Jessica's book. I read it in a couple of hours and it was fantastic. So do pick that up. Jessica, thanks again. We'll catch up soon, no doubt. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.